So how are you putting together the puzzle that we call life? That is what life is, isn't it? Always looking for the missing piece, trying to put together this messed up pile of puzzle pieces with, into a, a satisfying picture or at least pretending that we are. Music is often a, a window into our souls. Popular music, music that makes it as music, often taps into a, a, a desire of our heart or it helps us live a dream that we're not living but really want to. On some lists of U2 music, their number one hit song, 1987, has been, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. At least it's number one on my list. I still haven't put all the pieces of the puzzle together. For 30 years, rocking the airwaves with that song. In the last year or so, it's an Alberta boy from Spirit River, Aaron Godvin, Goodwin who made the big move to Nashville, riding the wave of a big hit song. Listen to the words. We go there, running from the empty, looking for a little light. Just another face in the crowd of the brokenhearted. So we dance and we sing and pretend that we're all right. But we're not, and we know it. We just won't show it. There's one on every corner. You ain't got to look too hard, and those doors will swing wide open no matter who you are. It's where Jesus knows to go to find the sinners and the saints. It's where you hit your knees and say a prayer and take a drink because we're all hurting, we're all searching in bars and churches. Chasing lonely, drowning out the devil with the devil trying to drag you down, pouring out your heart to the ear of a perfect stranger, hoping that they'll listen, that they'll care, they'll give a darn, but they just want the same thing too. They came here just like you. Yeah, there's one in every corner. You ain't got to look too hard, and those doors will swing wide open no matter who you are. It's where Jesus knows to go to find the sinners and the saints. It's where you hit your knees, say a prayer, or take a drink, because we're all hurting. We're all searching in both bars and churches. Searching. Trying to put the puzzle together. Now, I am not a puzzler, okay? If at Christmas I opened a gift and it turned out to be a jigsaw puzzle, my thoughts would go one of three directions, probably all three at some point. Number one, this person obviously has no idea of who I am. Or number two, maybe, maybe they do know me. Like maybe this is from my daughter-in-law getting her Christmas jollies, presenting, pressing my buttons. In a few minutes I'll tell you why I'm seeing her in the picture. Number three, Regardless of why this gift was given, I would end up thinking, hey, I now have the perfect re-gifting piece for the next time I need to bring a gift to a party. I don't do puzzles. I may be a puzzle at times. My wife tells me I am. But puzzling is not my idea of relaxation or recreation. I, I, I spend way too much of my life trying to figure out the puzzle of my own life, trying to help others figure out the puzzle of their life, and trying to figure out how to put the puzzle of church life together in a way that is right for everyone. I don't do puzzles. But almost eight years ago now, over New Year's, Ladon and I took the trip from northern BC to southern Alberta at the request of our son to meet and get to know his future in-laws. And as families, 
to plan a wedding together. It's what the kids wanted. We had supper together the first night, great time, wonderful people. And after supper, they dragged out the family Christmas present. They had waited until we got there to get into a huge two-million-piece jigsaw puzzle. I don't remember the exact details, but I, I do remember my feelings. It probably, in my mind, it went something like this, okay? I get the shifty-eyed look going, darting from place to place, looking for a way out. But I also feel the eyes of LaDonna on me, beaming me the message, you can do it, you can do it, just don't screw it up. So I visualize Ulysses tying, telling his crew to tie him to the mast, sat down in the chair, visualizing being tied to that chair, and stared at two million pieces. I remember at one point after everything sort of going a little smoothly around the circle, and I didn't think they'd miss me, I got up to take a trip to the bathroom, pulled out my smartphone to do some research, <laughs> and realized this was so far out in the country they didn't even have internet out there. So I went back to the table and stared, trying to look like I was getting into it, and all the while trying to figure out how long I had to act interested and schmooze so they wouldn't be offended when I offered to get up and serve some snacks and drinks to everyone so they could keep on working on the puzzle. Entire evening, a long evening, working on a puzzle. I think my contribution was two pieces. <laughs> One way I was able to keep myself tied to the mast, mostly, was, was to use the setting to make some observations about the people around the table and and how this puzzling thing worked. I might not do puzzles, but I can analyze doing puzzles. When it came to putting together that puzzle, I do remember two things very clearly, two things that explain what we'll be doing in our Sunday teaching for, the next, for today and the next four Sundays after this. I remember the number one repre repeated refrain of the evening. It wasn't really a surprise, but to hear it was eye-opening. There were, there were quiet times when, when people were focused on the puzzle, and there were times when some stories were told about each other, and, and some safe, get-to-know-you questions were asked about each other in a relaxed way. But when it came to the puzzle itself, you know the number one refrain of the evening? If you've done puzzles, it's on the tip of your tongue. Would you pass me that box cover again? I, I just need to take one more look at the picture. The next four Sundays... We'll be taking a look at the box cover, the big picture. The way Christianity from the Bible gives us the big picture as we try to figure out the puzzle of our own lives. Another scene I remember, everybody around the circle, except me, looked at the box, looked at the two million pieces, looked at the box again, looked at the pieces, and then they'd pick out one piece, a piece that seemed to be a, 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 a piece around which they could build one piece of the puzzle. After a while, they got stumped, and they'd pick out another piece that looked like it might come from the same section, and they'd build around that. And they considered it a huge win when they found a piece or several pieces that brought their two little groups of pieces together. But all the time, they were working from the big picture on the box. Over the next four Sundays, as we tackle different key sections in the puzzle, we're going to try and see how they fit together and why. And we'll bring it home each week with some concrete, practical suggestions regarding how we're called to see life and live life out. Today, we're going to take an initial look at the cover of the box. 
the picture that you see in the store, the vision God wants you to have as you tackle the puzzle of your life. And it comes from one simple statement in the letter of Paul to the church at Colossae, which is going to be our theme for this entire week. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, in Christ lives, resides all of the fullness of God in a human body. Jesus did not just have God's fullness in him. He is God's fullness, the completeness of God in human form. As the writer of Hebrews says, as he introduces his book, the exact representation of God's being. So also, you are made complete, whole, full in Him. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, you are made complete through your union with Christ. The message of the Christian faith is that the entire picture, all of life, all of my life, must be centered on Jesus. He is, in some way, the missing piece of the puzzle, the centerpiece of the puzzle, the big picture of the puzzle. I don't, I don't know how to fit the puzzle together without factoring Jesus into the picture. According to the Christian story, every piece of the puzzle has a Jesus component to it that I need to come to terms with. I need to learn to live in it and to live it out. If, if you're struggling with even that picture piece of the puzzle and, and, and the, start about the, the, the start of that, one of the best things you could do this fall is, in, is uh, attend one of our, our group life options on Sunday morning during the second service in that room right over there called the Alpha Course. Somebody in the foyer in our ministry fair afterwards will be able to help you out with that, how to figure that out. This morning we'll just highlight two things from this statement, two questions this statement should make us ask ourselves. Am I asking the right first question about God and His dream for me? And number two, am I asking the right first question honestly and seriously about myself? So first of all, am I asking the right first question about God and His desire for me? You see, if you ask the wrong first question, you probably will not come up with a good understanding of the big picture. You'll end up cramming the puzzle together in ways that will make you say, oh, this just isn't working for me. What's the default first question we ask of God? The default first question is, what is it God wants from me, right? It's the most common rut we all tend to fall into. Okay, if I get serious about God, I just want to know what He wants from me, right? Why? so that I can get him to give me what I want, what I think I need. And we make up, we, we, we put into a package or a plan or a formula the kinds of things we think God wants us to, to be or to do that if we do well enough, consistently enough, for long enough, he will grant us, what, peace of mind, a better husband, financial windfall, good grades, whatever. Now, there's, there's a piece to this kind of thinking that is appealing, and, and there's a piece to it that, okay, it, it, it works to some degree. It's what we were raised on and what some of us raised our kids on. If you do the dishes, 
you can gladly go out and play after supper with your friends, right? And as we got more mature, for some of us when we hit college, like me, for some of us we learned it earlier in high school, like I didn't. We have this bargain with ourselves. When I get this paper done, I will give myself the treat of going out to do something fun. And it's because of this kind of thinking, contractual thinking, that some of us have grown cynical about church and about faith and about God. It's all a bunch of rules. And what we see in people who claim to follow God is a very shitty way to live. And we're done with that. As we should be. And so we either pack it in, give up on trying to put the puzzle together and just live, or we go after another formula, do this to have a good life. When our kids were in their teenage years, a huge life stage question for them was, how can I pass my driver's test? Right? And as parents, it was, oh, how can I help my kids pass this driver's test? One of the parents in our circle found the answer. They found a certain driving instructor who had figured out what parents really want when they pay for driver's training. Oh, yeah, yeah, they want their kid to learn how to drive. But more importantly, all they want is for their teenager to pass that exam. I need them to drive so I don't have to go out every night, late at night, going to pick them up. I need them to drive because I need them to stop elevating the angst in the environment at home. And so, I hope it's safe to say this because it happened in another province many years ago, but here's what, what this driving instructor did. He built it sort of as a finishing school. Knowing the parents had already taught, the parents knew their child knew everything about driving because they had taught them. So he said, I'll give your child, well, let's start with three lessons, and it probably will only take three lessons, and they'll pass the exam. But you have to let me book the exam for you, and they have to take the exam in the car that I teach them in. So here's what he did. He booked the exam for his students, because if he knew when the exam was, he knew who the examiner would be. And if he knew who the examiner would be, he had watched. And he knew exactly which route every examiner took. And so his lessons were simply driving the exam route that they would have over and over again, identifying everything on that route that was part of the test, every stop sign, every speed zone change, and then he taught them how to parallel park. Boom! Everyone passed the test. But did they know how to drive? Some did. Some didn't. If we approach life in terms of what does God want for me, what's on the test, that's how it's going to be. We'll learn to get all of the right answers, say all of the right things, but not get what it's all about. Look at it again, our text. So you also are made complete in Him. Can you think of a better first question we should be asking as we think of God and the puzzle of our lives? In Him, in Jesus, 
You are complete. Would not a better first question be something like that? Not what does God want from me, but what is it that God wants for me? The pieces we'll look at in the next two weeks will help us flesh out why this is the most important question and why it is so unnatural for us to ask that as our first question. But for today, let's just think about about two obvious ways it would change everything if that was the first question that I asked. If that was the first question I asked, you know what it would do? It would help me work into my thinking that God really is for me, not against me, not aloof from me, not holding out on me, not taking from me. Paul got that when he finally came to terms with Jesus. And there's this wonderful statement in the book of Romans where he says, what are we going to say in response to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him us for, up for us all, would it not be logical to realize that along with him in his grace, he's going to give us everything? What's God's dream for me? Why did he not spare his own son but offer him up for me so that I could have everything, so that the puzzle that is my life would be complete in him? It's not just a matter of Jesus forgiving my sins and then everything's honky-dory. It's a matter of growing into the fullness of God's vision for me. It was this vision that, that moved Paul who was claimed by God to lead the Jesus movement that for all, for, by all human reasons should have died when Jesus died. Paul was chosen to lead in the expansion of the church from being a little sect within Judaism to being the most powerful social and cultural force in history. Paul began his career by trying to climb the ladder of religious leadership in what do I have to, what, what does a God want from me kind of thinking. And he built his brand by trying to stomp out the movement of Jesus. And yet he ends up giving his life, all of his life, and every ounce of his energy to seeing this very movement cross every single geographical barrier and social and cultural barrier to become the most powerful force in human history. What was the vision that grabbed him? In this book of Colossians, one page back, chapter 1, verse 28. He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all, with all vision, so that we might present everyone mature, complete in Jesus. You know, when it, when it comes to putting the puzzle of life together, I, I don't think I'm alone in not liking puzzles. We are programmed to, to, to want to do it the easy way. Just tell me what you want from me so I can get you off my back and go on with my own way, right? So which is the first question you're asking? Which way are you looking at God in life? What does God want from me? What do I think God is demanding from me? What am I afraid God is going to want from me? When I ask that question first, I will tend to either see God as against me, as aloof from me, as holding out on me, as taking from me. Or, I will learn the lingo of God. Say the words. And everyone else would be saying, 
Why would I want that? They're not living it. But when I ask the right first question, number two, it helps me understand that what God wants from me is really worth it. God does want something from me. Of course He does. He wants me. He wants all of me. But you never evaluate anything based on how much it costs. You evaluate it on whether it's really worth the cost. At some point, we will get to the point, if we see God's vision for us in reality, we will get to the point of saying, oh my goodness, can I afford not to do this? So how are you looking at life? What does God want from me? Or what does God want for me? Folks, I, I, I know it doesn't always feel like it, especially because we are bent to hear the opposite, but whatever you have experienced from life, whatever you have done in life, in Jesus and because of Jesus, God is for you. Can you see that? That is what we want to be all about for each other, for our friends in this community. Very briefly, the second question. Once I ask the right first question of God and what He wants for me, once I begin to believe that His vision for me is actually the dream of my heart, once I realize how much He actually invested in this vision to be accomplished in my life, giving up His life for mine, then I'm ready for a second question, maybe tentatively at first, but with increasing transparency, the first question I should be asking for myself, what, what are the incompleteness factors right now in my life that God might want to be opening my, me to and nudging me to, to live into the completeness He has already given me in Jesus. We tend to look at it in terms of barriers that, that we need God to smash for us and break down for us so that we can have what we need. We tend to want God to lay down bridges for us to be able to walk across to achieve our goal. We tend to blame others in life for us not being able to achieve our goals. We tend to look for some seminar, some course, some, some new church to deliver for us. We tend to, to whatever... But if we really grasped that in Him, in Jesus, we have been made complete, would we start being willing to look in the mirror and saying, hmm, maybe there's some incompleteness factor in here in, that God might be wanting to surface? How might God, might, how might God be wanting me to, to be willing to surface that with someone an incompleteness factor he has already addressed and drawn me into. But it's the real missing piece in terms of how I'm living life. You know, we sometimes say that the journey of being a Christian, of being a follower of Jesus, is simply giving that part of myself that I know to that part of God that I am coming to know. Just keeping on doing it. The, the more I know the God who is for me, would I not be willing to process some of that stuff that is still an incompleteness factor in me? If you are hitting some barrier consistently in that in your life, one of the things we, we offer here every year at Ellerslie is Freedom Sessions, and in the foyer, you can sign up for that. Wrap it up. 
You are complete. Because of Him? Well, yes, but, but that can be so impersonal. It's way more than that. You are complete through Him? Oh, sure, but, 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 but that's so transactional. Using Him as a means to an end. It's way better than that. You are complete with Him? Absolutely, but it's even more powerful than that. You are complete in Him. Now that's complete. And next week we're going to see why. But for today, as we wrap it up, would you simply listen to Jesus as He talks about complete. Could you put the last slide on for me, please? The vision that drove Jesus to give up His life for you. How did He put it? John 10.10, I have come to give up my life so that you could have life and have it to the full. Complete. In me. Father, it's so hard for us to grasp the beauty, the glory, the, 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 the wonder of your vision for us that you gave up your life for us to have. We confess that we have reacted to our completeness in so many different ways by hiding, by pretending, by giving up, by demanding, by going for things that are not wrong but are less than the vision. Lord, help us to, to, to help each other to live with our eyes open to you, to your vision, and help each other to leverage everything in our life, good or bad, to take steps toward living in and living out the vision that you have already brought us into in Jesus, complete in Him. Thank you, Jesus.